Welcome to the ACO Show, a podcast about changing the American healthcare system and the people who are trying to make that happen. I'm Josh Israel, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Chiglinski. Hi, Brian. Hey, Josh. Today's show, Dr. Christine Meyer of Exton, Pennsylvania, and Casey Corba of Allidate's policy team. What'd we do today? Yeah, today we were talking all things Hill Day, uh, and Hill Day meaning Capitol Hill. It's our Allidade's Day of Advocacy, where we help our primary care docs and their staff really learn how to lean in and, and advocate uh, for their practices, for their patients, uh, and for value-based care in general on the Hill to legislators and, and legislative staff. Um, I'm really glad we had two perspectives on this and two folks to join us. So Casey Corba, uh, on our policy team to really get into the allidate wide, why we do this, why it's important to us um, as you know folks advancing value-based care. Um, and then we had a special guest, Dr. Christine Meyer, who is not only a practicing physician and a very well-spoken advocate of her patients and, and primary care in general. She is also a podcast expert, which I learned after assuming I was explaining to a novice how to talk on a podcast. I know that allidate does all we can to help physicians work within the healthcare system as it is. And it was also just great to be reminded that we are also going upstream to try to make the system better. Yeah, agreed. It was a great chat. All right, here we go. So Casey, could you tell us a little bit about what Hill Day is at Allidade? Yes, it's one of my favorite activities we do at Allidade. It's an opportunity to get Allidade member physicians and clinicians to talk with their legislators, either in person on the Hill or virtually, about the importance of primary care, independent primary care, and the value of the ACO model in their community. And we also take the opportunity to ask for one or two of our most pressing legislative agenda items. So this year, we we were asking for Congress to consider the Value in Healthcare Act, which has some positive fixes and supports for the Medicare Shared Savings Program, including extending the Advanced Alternative Payment Model bonus. Casey, how do you get an interview with a legislator? Yeah, so we, you know, sometimes you just ask. It's as simple as that. We we have some tools that we can use to make sure we're sort of identifying the right person among, you know, among the staff. And the, the farther along we go, you know, sort of the more relationships we've built we also work closely with NACOS, our member association, if we're, you know, if we're running into any, any challenges. But, you know, legislators really want to meet with their constituents. So um, it's, it's nice to get these meetings. It's, you know, we coordinate with the physician, make sure it's fitting in their schedule. Again, virtual can be great. We did a couple, especially for our, our docs out in California who didn't really want to fly all the way across the country, take time away from patients. So yeah, we, we schedule the meetings and then we try to just make it very easy for the physicians. We try to prep them as much as possible with the background of who they're meeting with, what the legislator cares about. Sometimes it's not value-based care. You know, it's not front and center for them. So getting, getting to some of their priorities, whether it's fiscal responsibility, savings, great high-quality health care in their community, support for small businesses, there's definitely different ways in. And once we prep the physician, I mean, the most important thing that they bring to the table is really just sharing their story and telling the story of why they practice independent primary care and, and again, the value of the ACO model in their community. And then we kind of wrap in with the with the legislative ask. 
It's awesome. I love that we offer like a virtual option. It's kind of like telehealth, but for policy advocacy. Exactly. So I know there was also something, there's also been talk about not just advocacy at the federal level, but also like helping folks connect with state legislators. Can you talk a little bit about the team's work around that? Yeah, we, our state policy program is now going on two or three years old. We have, um, we're active in 12 states now. So we have physician-led policy committees uh, in 12 states. And it really is, you know, the same goal. It's to really to educate and empower the physicians who are interested in policy. They are obviously really busy running their practice and caring for patients. And so we try to, again, make it as easy as possible, bringing them the information, doing all the coordination behind the scenes, and just really elevating their voice on the local and federal level. As you know, healthcare is very local, so we definitely have federal priorities, but there's different things going on in different states that we wanna be aware of and proactive about, and our state policy really gets at that piece. Casey, I know you recently wrote an article on the Alliday blog about the four tips for physicians who are interested in getting involved in policy advocacy. What are kind of the main lessons, the takeaways? Obviously, people should go straight to the website and read it uh, direct there. But if you had to highlight, what are some of the main things that you would advise physicians who are thinking about how to get involved in policy advocacy on the side of their job? I think the biggest barrier for a lot of our physicians is time because they are so busy. And the other big one that we see is they're afraid that they're not policy experts and so that they shouldn't be, you know, talking to legislators or advocating and, you know, really they are the best advocates, just their story of what their day-to-day life is caring for patients in the community. That's really what legislators want to hear. And so they really don't need any policy expertise. We you know, provide all the prep that they need. And so if if they reach out to us, if they're interested, if they're listening to this and they're interested, you know, we we work, some of our physicians are pros at this and others are in the earlier stages and just beginning. And uh, we have very successful meetings on both ends of the spectrum. And it's all about really just nurturing and building the relationship with the legislator and their staff Um, You know, policy takes time, and so we don't expect to necessarily walk out of a meeting with a policy win, but over time, really laying the groundwork and answering their questions and educating them about, you know, our model and the ACO model and the importance of independent primary care, that's really the power of these meetings, just about building and nurturing those relationships. Thanks, Casey. We're going to pivot now. We're delighted to be joined by Dr. Christine Meyer who was featured in just a fantastic article in AARP's online newsletter, really just one of the clearest articles I've read about what ACOs are, and Dr. Meyer repped it very well. Dr. Meyer, I want to hear first about your practice, but I just want to note, we are typically joined by guests on scratchy microphones. Mm -hmm. And when Brian and I turned on our cameras, there you are with a nice set of headphones and a pop filter on your mic. So, So why is that? So because I learned the hard way a long time ago, if you're going to host a podcast, it really needs to be done professionally or nobody listens. So I have a podcast and, you know, originally there was like two listeners and I think one of them was my mom. So it didn't matter. And then it started to grow. The audience started to grow and I really wanted to up the quality. And so I invested in the microphone and a headset and maybe a studio someday. Who knows? My mom did not listen to this podcast. So you're you're ahead of me. She, she says it's very confusing. Uh, so tell us first about your practice, please. 
Yeah. So I started my practice in 2004. It was just me. I'm an internist by training, have always wanted to do primary care. I'm just passionate about primary care. And then over the last 19 years, it's just grown. So I've added providers. We are now up to 22 providers. Not all of them are full-time, obviously. I have two buildings, a huge uh, patient population, but it's still my practice. I'm the only owner. It's It seems to be one of a dying breed, at least in our community, you know, the, the physician-owned practice, but it's been just incredible. And the, the work we've been able to do in our community as a private practice has been just tremendously rewarding. And it is my now mission in life to just encourage other doctors to get independent, stay independent, be in primary care, you know, all of those things. So we're here to talk about Hill Day, and you participated in Allidade's Hill Day this year. Before we dive into the details, can you tell us just at a high level what the experience was like and what was most memorable about it? So first, I would say, Casey, you need to add like a fifth tip for physicians considering advocacy and, and participating in Hill Day, and that is wear the right shoes. Because I, you pulled sneakers out of your bag, and I was so insanely jealous. I went down to Hill Day thinking I'm going to wear like these super power shoes. And I bought really nice high power shoes. And it was literally the worst decision I made in a very, very long time. We walked miles and miles. I think it took me like a week to recover from that. So yeah, sensible shoes. Hill Day was amazing. I mean, first of all, as an American, you know, it is so awe-inspiring to be in Washington, D.C. and to be, you know, we were actually in the Capitol building and that is just, I don't know how you could be there and not be moved. But also I felt really listen to. So, you know, as Casey said, the legislatures and their their staff actually seemed to care what I had to say, which was so surprising to me because I don't have any advocacy experience. And I was definitely one of those doctors that was like, oh, I don't know if I belong here. Like, am I going to even say anything worth worth hearing? And they were so engaged. And I left, you know, the end of that day not just with very, very sore feet, but feeling like I accomplished something. Like the words I said really seemed to land and would at some level make a difference. It was awesome. Well, you'll, you'll be pleased to know that Josh also wears power shoes for every day of the ACO <laughs> show. They're just off, off camera. So what were you particularly, Casey gave us a little bit of detail of the legislative priorities for this year's Hill Day. What were you specifically talking to the legislators about and their staff? What, what were the main things you were trying to get across? I mean, for me, it was really just more big picture things like this is why value-based care is important. This is why an alternative payment model is critical in terms of just promoting quality over quantity in medicine in general. And, you know, I was able to share some stories from my practice where our ability to use our shared savings from these programs to, you know, create programs within our practice that further help patients. And those, you know, the, the story-based illustrations of what value-based care and the importance of, you know, supporting alternative payment models is really seem to resonate with everyone we spoke to. You know, like I said, I'm not a policy person, so I couldn't say things like, I want you to vote for this specific piece of legislation because blah, blah, blah. I would have definitely sounded like a phony, uh, but I was able to say, you know, this is the big picture, high level, what happens when we have more and more of these payment models available to us. You mentioned the 
the ability to build up your practice some with some of the shared savings from being an ACO. Are there other ways you can you can share with us that being in, in an accountable care organization has changed your work? I mean, you know, we, yes, growth has been really helpful because obviously one of the tenets of a successful value-based care practice is to be accessible to our patients. And so if you don't have enough clinicians and you don't have enough hours and you're not accessible, then patients overutilize things like the emergency department. So adding clinicians and adding hours has been huge. But also just using our resources to create programs for our patients. You know, like we, the AARP article talks about our bat phone, which is the before all that phone, the phone that we ask our sickest patients to call if they're considering a trip to the ER. And that phone is a cell phone, but it's manned by a human being, you know, 24 7, 365, and it's answered on the first ring. And while that seems like a no big deal feat, that is a huge undertaking. So, without, you know, shared savings and without our, our resources from value based care, we would never be able to institute a program like that. I'm curious if, if being part of an ACO or being uh, involved in value based care has that obviously, it sounds like you're someone who's very active and has a very powerful voice normally, but has it changed how you thought about the relationship between physicians and policymakers and kind of the importance of getting policymakers the information they need? Absolutely. You know, I, I kind of always thought of politics and, and law as like one side and medicine the other side, but we're all on the same side. And that's something that I've really started to understand. You know, I may not agree with, you know, how policy is created or how politicians are, you know, installed into their offices. But at the end of the day, when you're speaking to the right legislator, they have the best interest of their constituents at heart and their constituents are my my patients. So, you know, we are all in this together and I think we just need to get to that common language. You know, I need to understand where they're coming from and they need to hear where I'm coming from and then together, you know, sensible policy can be created. It can't be one-sided. If there were just a few things you could have changed with the ACO program, what would they be? Hmm, that's a tough one. I mean, it's a lot of work. I will say that, you know, participating in an ACO is not for the faint of heart and it takes patience and it, it it's a marathon and it's definitely not one you want to run in power shoes. <laughs> but So I would say, you know, when you're, when you're considering participating in an ACO, uh, be prepared for that. You know, don't go into it thinking like, oh, we're going to join this year. The end of this year is going to be amazing and we're going to earn shared savings and we're going to transform our practice. It's really a, a much more slow, deliberate process. And as long as you lean into that, you'll have lasting success. I had a physician that I'm kind of coaching through some value-based care work say to me, can you just give me the flow sheet? Just give me the flow sheet of how, how to make this work. And I was like, I'm so sorry that that just does not exist. If you're looking for the flow sheet, you're immediately setting yourself up for failure. So, you know, just an, a deeper understanding of how much work and how much time it takes to really get good at it, it would be so important. Yeah, that's a good point about just the, the complexity of it and the the hard work of it. Our, our CEO, Farzad Mosashari, doesn't, doesn't overpromise there. I've heard him speak saying when we are trying to show doctors the benefits of joining, 
they'll say, we're not going to make your job easier. We're going to make it more meaningful because it is, it is some hard work. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm one of these people where I have like a conversation, you know, you always walk away from a conversation. You're like, oh, there was that one thing that I forgot to mention and bring up in the moment. And then it sticks with you for a while. Mm-hmm. This is an open invitation now for any of the policymakers and their staff you met with. Was there anything that you walked away from and you're like, oh, I should have mentioned this. This is a chance now. We will make sure that they hear it here. I mean, I think I I, I would say their decisions that seem to be, you know, a small decision that's part of a much, much, much bigger picture that's way above my level of understanding makes a huge difference. So, and, and I felt that, like I felt kind of small in their big world. So if I could say one thing is even those of us that are coming to you with what seems like a tight, like a one line piece of your uh, piece of legislation you're trying to push through, that one line could literally change or save somebody's life. And I think that's really important. You know, the, the smallness of me really doesn't represent the bigness of the problem of healthcare and what we need our legislators to support. And speaking of things that you wish you had said but didn't, I want to come back to the last point I was making about it being hard but meaningful. Exactly the point of a lot of our policy work is to try to make it easier. You know, we are we are lobbying for more rational quality measures, you know, fewer quality measures, measures that matter only to patients that aren't just box checking, things like waivers for prior authorizations. And I know Casey and her team, a lot of the work they do is precisely around that, that it doesn't have to be hard forever. Um, it's just hard right now. Right. So you did a bit of a teaser trailer of the fact that you are also a podcast host. And I, full confession, feel like an idiot because I was introducing them like, okay, here's how we record a podcast. And you're like, <laughs> please, please, Brian, I've been doing this. Yeah, you're a big podsplainer. Exactly. I was, I was podsplaining. It's the worst. <laughs> That's funny. Um, That's funny. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your podcast. What's it called? Where can people find it? What do you talk about? Yeah. So my podcast is called Tell Me More, Better Conversations in Healthcare. And the Better Conversations in Healthcare is really, really important because I think there's like 18 podcasts called Tell Me More that are bigger than mine. So you'll never find it unless you mention the conversations piece. But you know, it came about because I learned over the years of my practice that one of the worst things that can happen for a patient that can lead to a bad outcome is a bad conversation. Whether it's, you know, a a provider that didn't listen or a provider that didn't explain or a patient that didn't tell the full story, but our ability to communicate with each other is critical to good outcomes. And so my podcast basically invites patients and doctors who have had terrible conversations, mostly some great conversations to share their story. And we just kind of break them down. You know, how could it, how could this conversation have gone better? Where was the inflection point in this conversation? Where did your doctor, you know, glaze over? And, you know, we're coming away with some really, really awesome, actionable pieces of advice that patients can take to their next healthcare encounter. And it's, it's really, really rewarding. I've learned some things. One of my favorite episodes is one where it was actually a patient of mine and I didn't know what she was going to talk about secretly. I was like, oh, she's going to talk about how amazing I am. And she actually talked about her diagnosis of thyroid cancer and how I said to her, don't worry, it's just thyroid cancer. You're going to be fine. And the way I heard that was, I was very reassuring. You have cancer, but you're going to be fine because it's just thyroid cancer. What she heard was, 
oh my God, I have cancer. And my doctor just completely minimized that. So we had a really good talk about that. And I can tell you with certainty, those words will never come out of my mouth again. And that if I can share that message with other doctors listening to the podcast, it would be amazing. Just well worth every second. So Dr. Meyer, thinking about the ways that Allidade is both lobbying for change and trying to support independent primary care, are there things we could be doing to better support practices like yours? I love working with Allidade. And I will say I was with in another ACO model before Allidade, and I feel like there's a lot that Allidade does right, namely with the population health tool, the support, our practice transformation specialists. Like I feel everybody is accessible and the data is accessible. I'm not sure, honestly. I wish I could think of some negative. I mean, right now we had a fantastic 2022. We're shaping up to have a great 2023 in terms of our performance. So it's hard to come up with things that we could do better. I'm sure there are, but honestly, for me, I think it's just a, a learning curve and just having the ongoing support along the way is is everything. Dr. Meyer, in addition to running your own practice and having your own podcast and your, your ample free time, I understand you are also available to help other doctors who are trying to make a transition to more outcomes-based care. How does that work? Yeah. So, you know, I learned and got good at value-based care the very hard way, making millions of mistakes. It took years and years and years, and it doesn't have to be that hard. I think one of my goals at this stage in my career, i.e. I'm getting old, is to share what I've learned with other primary care practices. And I think, you know, if people like me who've had success can share their success with others, we'll have more doctors in value-based care. And that's really so, so, so important. So I have a consulting website, cmmdconsulting.com, and doctors who may be struggling in one area or all areas, or maybe just not know what value-based care is, can reach out to me through the website, and I would be happy to help in any way I can. All right. So this message goes out to all of the ACO show listeners. We're expecting you like Swifties to suddenly go and subscribe <laughs> as soon as this episode is over to tell me more better conversations in healthcare with Dr. Christine Meyer. Dr. Meyer, thank you so much for joining us. And Casey, thank you for joining us as well to talk a little bit about Hill Day and your experience and Dr. Meyer, the patients that you're serving every day. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you. The ACO Show now has a mailbag. Submit your questions, compliments, or episode ideas to ACO Show at Allidate.com. This show was produced by Leanne Horst, Alana Coogan, Rebecca Raymond, Stuart Taylor, and of course our wonderful hosts. Check out more of our show wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.